in Hebrews chapter 9 tonight. Father, we thank you for a good time to get together and to study your word. Thank you for the presence of your spirit here to teach us and instruct us. And we are open to hear the voice of the spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking over chapter 9, and I've heard some people comment on it, that this is one of the more difficult chapters of Hebrews to um, deal with. I'm not sure if they were talking about its content or to make it interesting. I'm not sure which way they were going with on that. And um, But anyway, we are uh, breaking this down into two parts. We're going to be in the first half here, and he is talking about the tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1, said, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. So the first thing he's going to talk about is the earthly sanctuary. So we're going to review what the sanctuary is here, just to uh, make sure we're all un- understanding that. See, can you pull up our first graphic? Okay, so as soon as we can, we will get our first graphic up there. In the first graphic, just to picture this, the, we're going to have the tabernacle. Now we're talking tabernacle, not temple. The temple, of course, was built on the outline of the tabernacle. And so it has the pretty much the same parts. Some things are made a little more elaborate and stuff like that. But uh, outside in the courtyard, the outer court, we would see the the altar of uh, sacrifice, the bronze basin or the bronze laver, whichever uh, translation you're particularly looking at. First one is called, we refer often to as the, the brazen altar, the bronze altar. The, when you come into the presence of God, this is what it was to depict here. You would come in, of course, in the outer court through the, the one entrance. And you would come across the altar for burnt offerings or the bronze altar first off. After that, you would hit the bronze basin. This is all in the outer court. In the outer court, everyone could come in who was the Israelites, quoting, and of course the priest. And you could come in there as often as you, as you wanted to. Um, this is where the sacrifice would be done. These are the regular sacrifices. These are the things that have to be be going on. The bronze altar would represent the work of Jesus Christ. You need to first off believe that Jesus Christ is who he is and what his work is. And then we can, the rest of the things are, are open to you. The bronze laver or the bronze basin is representing the cleansing or baptism that the priest would come up there and they would wash in the basin. They would wash their feet and their hands. This is, uh, of course, when Jesus was doing in the, the Last Supper. He was clean. You, know, don't, you don't need a whole bath. And so when they would come in there, even before doing some of the offerings, they would come over to the bronze basin and they would wash in the basin. This is for the priest. This is not for everybody to go up and wash. It's for the priest to do that because they were going to offer the sacrifice. So before they would offer the sacrifice, they would wash in the basin. Before they would enter into the holy place or the sanctuary, they would, they would um, wash in the basin. So this is what they were to be doing. Exodus 20, 20, and 21 is the reference for that. You'll see that uh, one verse talks about washing before they entered in, and one verse talks about off, uh, washing before the sacrifices would go on. So that was the outer court. He doesn't talk about the outer court. I just wanted to put that in perspective. When you came in to this, the uh, tabernacle area, this is the first place that you would go to. The second place we know as is the holy place. He calls it here the sanctuary. In verse 2, For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. 
So this is the, the section here. All priests could go into the sanctuary. You didn't have to be a high priest to get into the into this particular spot. All priests had access to it. It didn't mean that all priests went in there all the time. But it meant all priests had access. If you were a priest, you had access to this part. The Holy of Holies, of course, was only uh, by one person. For the tabernacle, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was a lampstand, a table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So let's go over here, the first part, the holy place, and you will see a discrepancy, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. So the first, the first thing we come to here is a lampstand. That's over there on the, the uh, top part of the screen. That's where the, I'm sorry, the lampstand is on the bottom. The showbread is up there at the top. The, the lampstand, uh, this is the only light that would get into the room was from the lampstand. There are no windows. And so this was the, the only light that would get in there. Uh, now, I don't have that because I've been in one. I have this because it was told to me that that's the only light that went in there. Now, how they did that exactly with tents and so forth, uh, not sure how pitch dark it, it was, but this was the only source of light designed for it was the, was the lampstand. It represented the Holy Spirit in our life, giving us light in our spirit connected to Him. So the, this was the type of it, the Holy Spirit. If you can, pull up there a picture of the lampstand. Let folks see see that over here. The the lampstand, of course, has uh, seven lights on it. The center one is the, represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center one, and the three on each side represent men. So you had three on one side and three on the other, making a total of seven. So the center stem represents Jesus, and the three on each side, man. So we have a total here of Six representing man, one, two, three, which of course is man's number. The seventh would represent Jesus. And that each one was fed by a, a wick that would bring up the oil that was put into the lamp so that these things would continually burn. The oil, of course, we know it, that's a, that's a part and the type of the Holy Spirit. The wick, no, I didn't really, I didn't come up with this on my own. I was just looking at what people say about this. The wick is our testimony, turning the oil into light. Well, it kind of makes sense to me. I could see that, that the wick would represent our testimony, that it takes the oil of the Holy Spirit and turns it into light, light that the world could then see. Now, I made this note on, on this, that in the inner, in the, uh, the sanctuary, in the holy place, no other light was to come in. The light was from the lamp, which represents the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem that a lot of Christians have, is that we have a lot of light of the world coming in. When you have a different kind of light come in, you will see different things. We've seen this uh, course in our own, own course of things. If you have a black light and you light that up, you'll see different stuff. You know, we take the kids over on Hallelujah Night and we have the um, laser tag. And they have the black lights all around. Well, everything that is white just becomes glow in the dark. And you can, you can spot people. So you can see all the rookies who go out there for the first year. They wear white t-shirts and things like that. And all the veterans are wearing, uh, uh, black stuff. <laughs> just trying to keep themselves from being 
being spotted real well. Uh, different light will bring about different things. So if you bring in the world's light to examine what kind of decisions you make, what kind of things the Word of God is saying, uh, whatever it is in the, the area of God, if we bring in the world's light, we will get a wrong interpretation because we're going to see the wrong things. If we see the wrong things, then we're making decisions based on the wrong things. This is where a lot of people get into trouble. I know no one here in this church does, but other people in other churches, uh, they watch the news. And if you get the light from the news onto certain things, they will shape your opinion about stuff. And you will have a different opinion because you got the light of the world in there. We, we don't want to have that light. We got to make sure we stay with the light that God has. So if you're going to look at the Word of God, if you're going to look at decisions we're making in your life, make sure you stay with the light of the, of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's supposed to be illuminating us. And in this particular chamber, that's the only illumination that's supposed to come in. The second is the table of the showbread. This is made of acacia wood and gold compared to the lampstand, which was gold. This is made of uh, acacia wood and gold. The acacia wood would represent the humanity of Jesus. The gold, of course, the deity. The 12 loaves of bread represent the word of God. So this is the, the table. In case you, you wonder how the bread would be distributed up here, every single picture I'm able to find pictures the bread this way. Six stacked up on one side, six stacked up on the other. There are different utensils in all the pictures that I see. Some of them have no pitchers and no cups and nothing at all, and some of them do. So um, anyway, <laughs> we know that the table has the showbread, and they are, uh, that's what they, I guess what they look like. I don't know, to me, I was thinking they look like donuts. They got that kind of that glazy, glazy look on the outside there on, on these particular ones. But I could see where you could certainly see the bagels would be in there as well. <laughs> oh my. But anyway, there would be six on each side. Now they were changed out on a regular basis. So they were always fresh. But the, the bread here, would represent the Word of God. The lampstand represents the Holy Spirit. The bread represents the Word of God. When we have the Word of God, we will notice the same kind of things that we have with, uh, with, with people as far as the um, uh, uh, bread is concerned. When Israel was in the wilderness and God gave them heavenly bread and it would rain down every day, there were some, not all, but there were some, and it would seem like there was a good number of, of some, who got discontented with the bread. And they didn't like it. As far as we could probably t- tell, there, there were some who were just content, just happy to have it, and just glad for it. And some who, uh, who were not. And they com- grumbled and they complained, and then God sent them quail, and then we all know what happened with, the, with all that sort of stuff. Well, it's the same thing with the Word of God. There are some people who go to the Word of God and see it as fresh every day. And even though it's the same Word of God, every day they go there, they're excited. They're glad. It's the Word of God. And there are some people who go to the Word of God. Well, I'm kind of tired of this Word of God. And they, they, uh, they look for other things. They look for other, other uh, aspects. They look for other, other things to come in. And it's not good. It's, uh, we're, we're going out to other side, outside books. We're going out to other side. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about this, but I learned this over here. You see, we're getting tired of the manna. We're getting tired of the, of the showbread. We can't ever get tired of the bread and start going after other things. 
what happens then is we start bringing in light of the world to begin to see the scriptures in different lights. And this is how people come up with dates as to when the rapture is going to happen. Well, the whole world's going to end. What was the last date? So I thought there was something going on in October, or not October, um, recently, April. Wasn't there something in April? I thought I heard something. I saw some people putting some things up on Facebook. Well, I guess we're all going to go home tomorrow and, you know, sarcastic type, type stuff. But I didn't know who had, uh, who had put anything out there about that. But we all know that in the past there have been dates, and of course all those dates have come and gone. And people still will listen to them and hear them. But that's how they come up with it, and that's how they see it, is they bring in the foreign light, and they see something that's not there. And they're convinced of it, or at least uh, they tell people that they're convinced of it. But here in this, this outer court, this is where all the priests were allowed to go. We have the Word of God, and we have the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now the um, I pulled in. I don't think it's this. I didn't get to put this in yours, but the showbread. I looked this up. It means present bread, presence bread, as in the presence of of God. Exactly gives the meaning of Hebrew. Uh, presence bread exactly gives the meaning of the Hebrew. Is, is what it says in Second Chronicles two four. It is spoken of as the continual showbread because it was to be before Yahweh always. Now, in Leviticus 22, verse 4, not going to turn to that right now, but in Leviticus 22, verse 4, any priest with leprosy could not eat the showbread. Other, uh, the other priest could, but any priest with leprosy, and there was a number of other things, too, that they had that would disqualify you from eating the showbread. Leprosy, of course, is a type of sin. So what you're basically seeing here is a type of people that are falling away from God, people that have gotten into sin. Your, your viewpoint on the Word of God is going to become tainted. And in the Old Testament, it says stay away from the showbread. In the New Testament, you have people who have gotten into deception. You have people that are going off after different things and they'll, they'll see and they'll teach things from the Word. Paul dealt with it. You know, people teaching false doctrine and things like that wasn't helping anybody, anybody out. But in the Old Testament, they weren't even allowed to eat it. When we were at a fellowship, we will see the Word of God differently. Keep yourself in fellowship. Get that flow of the Holy Spirit. Get His light to, to come in. Now here's an interesting thing. The showbread costs the priests nothing. They didn't, they didn't buy it. They didn't pay for it in any way. Didn't come out of anything that was theirs. The showbread did not cost them anything. The Word of God does not cost us anything. It is there, it is available, and we can go and get it. Glory to God for that. All right, here's the, the third thing, the altar of incense. Now, going back over here to the Scripture, here's an interesting part about this. He says, For a tabernacle was prepared the first part, the sanctuary, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread. He puts three things in there, the lampstand, the table, and the showbread which is called the sanctuary. Okay, go back to our overall picture, if you would again. The first one we, we had. All right, hoping I'm not messing up your camera too much. All right. We've got the lampstand. We've got the table and the showbread all over here. But we also have something over here. And Hebrews says there are three things in this first area. This is the lampstand the table, and the showbread. So what happened 
to the altar of incense. Now, if we go on, in verse 3, And behold, the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which is where? Which is here. That's the place you didn't go into all the time. Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all, all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Alright, so we have the Ark of the Covenant. Right there. What's he talking about? He calls it the golden censer. Which is the altar of incense. So, why does the writer of Hebrews put the altar of incense on the other side of the veil. Now the altar of incense was not something that you took care of once a year. You had to deal with this on a regular basis. Because in the altar of incense, and I'll pull up our picture of the altar of incense if you can, we took coals out of the burning altar. And we would bring them in and put them in the altar of incense. This is the altar of incense. There's a number of different ways that people have depicted the top part here. Uh, some of them have it more of a fence. Some people had it as more of like a horns. Um, different ways. I have two pictures of the altar of incense. If you can bring up this, the second one I've got. Uh, this one's more of a top view. And again, these will, will vary. Some of them have them more elaborate. This is one of the more simple ones. In which here are the coals. And you would put the incense in those little cup things. And it would burn and... And it would, uh, it would come up. Some of them had a very elaborate golden pot that would sit up here that would hold the incense and then the heat would come up. And I don't know where exactly they, they all got the things from. But anyway, this is the idea of it. That the golden, uh, the, uh, golden censer or the altar of incense, it would have coals and the coals came right out of the, uh, brazen altar. Which is showing you that it's the work of Christ that was making all this possible, and that was brought directly in. You didn't just bring in hot coals. They had to come from the brazen altar. And so that was one of the jobs of the priests. They would take the coals in, and they'd put them in. I'm not sure if they did that once a day, however often they needed to do it, and they would change out the incense. But the golden censer here was put up on the sanctuary side, or the the holy place side, of the tabernacle, not in the Holy of Holies, because you had to keep that thing hot. And you're not going into the Holy of Holies to put in a couple more, uh, <laughs> a couple more of the coals. So it's very interesting while he does this. Um, now this was put real close to the curtains. I'm sure not so close that it would be a fire hazard. <laughs> but it was put up real close to the, to the curtains. And the incense and the smells that would come from there, the aroma from the, the incense would fill the Holy of Holies as well as the sanctuary, and you could also smell it outside in the courtyard in the area around Israel. It, you know, every place could smell the incense because, you know, they were good smells and they would burn them, but the entire area of the Holy of Holies would be filled with the aroma of what was on the, what was being burned as far as the incense were concerned. And there was a recipe for the, the um, incense and what they were supposed to do and they would, they would put that on. So, 
Here's our dilemma. Let's go back to picture number one. Why does he put the altar of incense? Very distinct. I mean, he's real clear about it. It's not like he just... Uh, it's, it's, it's an interpretive thing. He says, on the other side of the veil. <laughs> this is there. So why, why would we do that? Because the altar of incense is very clearly on the sanctuary side of the veil. Not on the Holy of Holies side. Well, here's a possible explanation. In that the writer of Hebrews, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews is seen... Well, let's go over what the altar of incense is here first. Jumping ahead of myself. As we said, it's placed right next to the veil. It filled the Holy of Holies with its fragrance and coals from the brazen altar were brought in symbolizing the work of Jesus Christ. It represents our worship, our praise, our works, and our prayers. The incense represents our worship, our praise, our works, and our prayers. The thing we are most familiar with it representing is our prayers. And of course, we can relate, relate that to a lot of scriptures we understand about the, uh, the fragrance they would bring before God. But it also would represent these other things. Our worship, our praise, the works that we do that are spiritual, not of course flesh works, and our prayers. The possible reason that he has flipped this is because he has switched over and looked at this in a New Testament light in which our works, our prayers, our worship, all that is now right in the Holy of Holies. Because Jesus, our high priest, no longer goes into the Holy of Holies once a year. He goes, he's in there all the time. He's in the presence of God all the time. And our prayers and our worship goes directly to Him, which takes it directly to the Father. And maybe that's what He was having in, in view, because He is uh, absolutely, the way He's writing it, not making an error. <laughs> he is, he's very clear as to, to what He's doing here. Let's take a look at the holy part. Verse 2 again. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil... The part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were golden, the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant is the only piece in the Holy of Holies. It didn't need a whole lot of maintenance. You didn't have to do things to it all the time. And so once a year, they would come in on a day of atonement. That was the one day that they could come before there and not die. So that was a good day to go in. Here are the things that were given. We have the, the tablets. These are the ones that Moses had received. These are the, show the law that was given by God. So that's the first thing we put in there. It was the tablets. The second one was the rod. This shows the miracle power of God and the priesthood of Aaron. It is not the priesthood of Melchizedek. It is the priesthood of Aaron. It is Aaron's rod that budded. Remember they had the rebellion and the people said we should be there too and so he said alright y'all get some of your rods we put them in there we see which one buds and uh, that was Aaron's rod that did and so it was put into the tabernacle as a, as a reminder. So 
It shows the miracle power of God and the priesthood of Aaron. The third was, was the manna. They took the manna. Of course, the manna would stink after a day. You would think, why would you put that into an area you're not going into a whole lot? But God says, don't worry, I've got it. We'll preserve it. Just like we can preserve it on that extra day you all need it. We preserve it here. And so they put that in there and it never went bad. It stayed, it stayed good. The manna represents the miracle provision of God. Verse 5, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So he's just kind of throwing them out there to you. It sounds like he's got more to say on it though, don't it? Interesting that Paul never gets into all these articles of uh, furniture in all his writings. Uh, pull up our picture of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Got it up? To, oh, should have turned around. Alright, so here's the the uh, angels, the cherubim. They have the wings. I don't know that this is exactly how it looks. If you pull up pictures of this, you're going to see a lot of different people doing a lot of different things with it. But that's a pretty good idea of what this would what this would be. And of course, the mercy seat. It's everyone's got. It's interpretive. Uh, people are doing it in different different kind of ways. But this is how this particular one did with the wings. I've seen some with these huge things that are over top, and these ones are a little bit smaller. So uh, <laughs> whatever one you see, it's it's probably fine. The idea here is what's what's there. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So there are two cherubim. I'm told one is for righteousness and one is for justice. The righteousness of God and the just justice of, of God so that the holiness of God is satisfied. Righteousness and justice. The mercy seat, it's called the mercy seat here. He says, uh, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. It is called the mercy seat. It, of course, would be a seat of judgment. But for the believers, it's a mercy seat. For the unbelievers, it's a judgment seat. But he calls it a mercy seat. Of course, when we appear before Jesus, there's no judgment of condemnation to hell. But when the world appears, when those who have not received Jesus, when they appear, it's going to be a judgment seat. So we're talking about a mercy seat of the three judgments that we talked about in the Word of God. Only one is a mercy seat. And that's the one we'd be, be depicting. So it's mercy for those who have accepted Jesus Christ. It will be something different for the others. Now, I put this in your outline for you. In a way, the ark represents sin. That may shock you a little bit. In a way, the ark represents sin. First off, let's take a look at the three things that are in there. First off, it's the law. What does it say about the law? You couldn't keep it. So the law is showing you you're a sinner. All right, that's the first thing. Here's the second one, the rod of Aaron. This reminds them of the rebellion they had. Because the only reason we have a rod of, rebel, a rod of Aaron in there is because they rebel, which is a sin. Here's the third one, manna. And what do you think of when you think of the manna? <coughs> Beside the provision of God. <coughs> Beside that, we also have the dissatisfaction they had and the judgment that came because of their dissatisfaction and and not being happy with the things that God had, had done with them. So in a sense, even though the ark represents very, very holy things, it is still representing or showing off the, the, the sin part. With the law, 
with the rod and with the manna. Now, I put this down in, in your outline here for you. One of those little pondering statements that you can do. Sin is simply a provision of God obtained the wrong way. Sin is simply a provision of God obtained the wrong way. Now, maybe if we put some thought to it, we can come up with uh, uh, ways that this isn't so. But let's just take a look at a couple of them. Go back in the beginning with Adam and Eve. What was the provision that God gave them? Fruit. You may eat of any fruit of the garden except for this one. And they decided, we're going to have the fruit. We're going to have this one. We're going to obtain it in the wrong way. It was the provision of God. God provided it. But they decided to, uh, to obtain it in the, wrong, in the wrong way. Even when we get to the place of like murder. Murder, the reason that people kill people with, with that type is because they're either afraid of something. Uh, they're afraid they're going to do something to them. Uh, they had done something to them and they, they're hateful to them. There's a lot of negative reasons, I guess, you can come up for why people would, would, uh, would murder someone. But doesn't God pr- promise Deliverance from our enemies? That's the provision of God. But murder is a way to go after it the wrong way. And when we begin to hate people to the point that we want to murder them, well, we've gone after the provision of God in the wrong way. We're supposed to forgive the, our enemies. And so um, as I thought about this, I couldn't come up with one initially. Maybe if you think of some more, maybe you could. But it seems that all sins that we pursue are things we're pursuing that, that are God's provided. But we obtained it the wrong way. David did this with Bathsheba because God even said in the statement, look at all I provided you. Look at all I gave you. If that had not been enough, I would have given you more. But instead, you pursued more the wrong way. Abraham with Hagar, they pursued the blessing of God in the wrong way. How many times did Saul pursue the blessings of God in the wrong way? Yeah, we just just don't need to do that. I also reworded it for you here. Or you can call it this, the wrongful pursuit of God's blessings. That's just sort of a different way of looking at sin, seeing what it is. Because most of those things that we can get in sin, God's given us a different, different way to do it. Adultery. Pursuit of what God said is a blessing in a wrong way. Yep. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. Do we, we cover everything in that? I thought there was something more I was supposed to go over with that, but now I'm not remembering it. Hopefully it will come to me. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. We're going to get into the latter parts of these verses more next time. But now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle. Notice the word always. There was a constant going in to the first part of the sanctuary. In the first part of the sanctuary is where we have the Holy Spirit, the Word, prayers, 
worship, all these things, that is supposed to be something we pursue on an always basis. Constantly be in this, in this, and they were. They were constantly in there. It says always. It didn't even just say daily. It said always. And that's something that we certainly need to be doing. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services, but into the second part. The high priest went alone once a year, not without blood. In other words, he had a, the blood had to be offered for himself and for the people. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He doesn't need to offer, offer sacrifices for himself. He can just go. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. But glory be to God, the way into the holiest of all has been manifested now. So the tabernacle's three parts show this. The first off, there is a place for all, always. And that is the outer court. There is a place for some, always. And that would be the sanctuary, or the inner court, or the holy place. Whatever name you wanted to put on it. Then there was a place for one, once. Once a year. Before, only one qualified and only one went in. Only one was qualified. Whoever was the high priest. And he's the only one that went in. Today, Christians can qualify. But how many go in? How many Christians are satisfied with staying on the outer part and never pursuing in? You see, everybody in this example could be out here. Only some could be in this, this spot and only one could be in the other. But now... A way has been made for all to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. To be able to enter into the very presence of God. But just because a way is made doesn't mean that everyone will get there. Most Christians are content with a very shallow relationship with God. Which they have without much of the Word, not much of the Spirit, not much in the area of prayers and worship and works. Not much in those things at all. But if you want to be one of those who pushes in to that, that level, then the light of the Holy Spirit should be shining on the Word of God. And the Word of God, the things that you learn, should be having an effect upon your praise, upon your prayers, upon your worship, and upon your works. If we get the light wrong, then the, what we understand in the Word is wrong. And if what we understand in the Word is wrong, then what we do in the area of works, praise, Worship and prayer will be wrong. We've got to make sure that in this inner, inner part that our relationship with the Holy Spirit is of such that He can shed light on us. And as we were talking about on Sunday, having that revelation, that revelation knowledge, that God will give us revelation knowledge onto His Word and it will affect our praise, our worship. It will affect our works. It will affect all these things. And we have to make sure that it does. Because in this area, all are able, and you can always be in this area, but not everybody does. And then there's a place that in the Old Testament was reserved for one. And we're going to get more into that as we, uh, we cover on, on in this part.
But here he's just laying this out, and I think if he was going to spend more time on it, these are some of the things that he probably would have, would have wanted to bring in. See, there's a whole lot of folks in their Christian walk, and they're satisfied with the work of Christ to give them forgiveness. They're satisfied that they've been baptized. They're satisfied that they've been cleansed from sin. But they've never gone any further than that. They're satisfied. But we have to become unsatisfied to where we say, no, no, I want more of God. And it all starts over here with the light. This is the light of the room. If you don't have it lit up, there's going to be some stumbling. But you have the light of the Holy Spirit coming in. And that light gives the Word of God illumination in your life. And that is what empowers your praise, your worship, what empowers your works, what empowers your prayers. All these things are affected by the Word of God. And if we let that kind of a thing go on, our life will change. And it's something we need to always be in. Because where I am today, a month from now, I better be in a, better, in a, in a different spot. Because I need to be growing. These things need to be keep moving me on. There shouldn't be a sin that easily besets us. There shouldn't be a, a sin that easily snags us. We ought to be getting victory over these things. It ought to be changing the way that we're going. And this is the foundation he lays down here in, in chapter 9 before he gets going into the rest of this. Father, we thank you for the things that you have done for us through the work of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit is now no longer confined to a certain place, but he inhabits us. And as he inhabits us, he brings light and illumination to our life from the Word of God and shows us the things we need to learn. And these things impact our prayers. They impact our works. They impact our praise and our worship. That these are all affected by the things that we're learning. And we thank you for it. And all these things combined to move us into an even greater place with you. And I thank you, Father, that we can learn more about that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.